Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. If I'm the lead, then everybody that's on my team, I become their primary customer as it relates to that project. Today on episode 494 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with the founder and CEO of the Resicom Group, John Fairclough. I'm going to ask John how he has created breakthrough solutions repeatedly and much more. Find out more about John along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Now, before we jump into this incredibly important topic with John, I want to tell you a little bit about how you can generate more leads, promote your products, and build brand loyalty. Jerry Mazur, the founder of Jerry Mazur Marketing, with more than 25 years in senior strategic positions in major advertising and PR agencies working with Fortune 500 companies, today helps smaller companies, startups, and not-for-profits achieve the marketing results they're looking for. If you want to achieve marketing results that are effective for your business, contact Jerry at 917-509-9906 or jerry at jerrymazermarketing.com. Now let's welcome John Fairclough. John founded the Resicom Group to help retailers optimize the way they improve and maintain their store environment. Under his leadership, the company has evolved from a local construction company into an international provider of facility maintenance and construction services. Naturally curious, John spends his time developing better questions to find the uncommon sense of a situation. By improving his questions, he's been able to create better answers to the challenge of developing people, evolving their processes, and protecting the value delivered. John's specialties include listening without prejudice, activating ideas, and mentoring without bias. He's on a mission to help businesses protect their brands at all touch points throughout their physical facilities. John, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Uh, John, how long ago did you start Resicom? Uh, t- uh, 20 years ago, 21 years ago. Wow. Well, congratulations on, on everything you've built. What was your initial vision for your business? Oh, goodness. I, I wanted to build something that I could be proud of, you know, be proud to be a part of. I, I had worked for one of my uncles and I had worked for a bunch of different family members. And I just, it really lit the the bug in me to put my thumbprint on something. So I was super eager to, to grow something and make it strong and something I could live, live off of that provided me a lot of just joy, kind of joy in my life success. It was the area that the only thing I really had going to, to move forward. So I wanted to make it as good as I could and feel like I really belonged in it. And what kinds of businesses were your family members in the ones that you worked for? Everybody was in the construction industry. So different trades and different areas of construction, somewhere in new construction, somewhere in remodeling, carpentry, painting, just all different trades. And uh, from my great-grandfather on down, so his sons, their sons, everybody's been in the trade, so it's kind of in our blood. Uh, but no one ever really brought everyone together to work under uh, as, as one team. It was all these, it was a series of uh, small businesses. Mm. Okay, so, and was your was your initial business one where you brought everybody together as one team? I did with, with my generation. So my brother-in-law came aboard my, and my, my brother. And so that was the beginning of my, of having family together 
with me were, were my uh, brother and brother-in-law, my brothers. And what's worked well when you're trying to put together a team like that, particularly a team that involves various specialties and various family members? Well, I, I think we did everything wrong. So if there was a mistake to make, we made it. I mean, fighting with each other, arguing and, and all of that, or what's even worse is when, when you don't say what's bothering you and keeping all that stuff in, because I'm sure, you know, everybody's wife uh, heard a lot more about the problems than they wanted to hear. Uh, but I think that, you know, just learning how to, how to deal with one another and uh, deal with just the, the problems that go with having a family business where it's not as easily, as easily shut off. So that was a, a big, a big piece for us was just to figure out how to, how to be good brothers as well as good uh, people in business. Yeah, it's comp- that's complicated because in, in your case, business was really personal. Mm-hmm, for sure. And was your original arrangement a partnership arrangement with family members or was it your business and they were brought on as team members? Well, it's a kind of a funny thing. I, so I started the company. I was on my own and went to, to make it happen, So, which was a kind of a big step because that, that wasn't everybody else worked for other family members. And it wasn't like I was recruiting them. But uh, when my when my brother in law and my brother came aboard, it really was it was great. So I I already had built up a book of business and things like that. But without my brother and brother in law, there'd be no way that the company would be what it is today. So in terms of shares, we you know we never did anything like that. But as far as sharing in the success of the business and and having the business uh, really help produce a better life for our families and all of that, that's all been there. And if we ever have an exit, you know, everybody would be really well taken care of. So it, it's one of those subjects. It's just, we seem to function better in this kind of environment than I think we would uh, if it was a traditional partnership kind of arrangement. But the respect for those guys is, is through the roof and what, what they bring to the table is through the roof. It's just not part of our formal arrangement. Mm. So if now looking back over your own experiences, you mentioned um, having your share of mistakes. What kinds of advice would you offer somebody like yourself who is trying to start something like like what you started? I think the most important or one of the most important items to to keep in mind is that we're all people. And, you know, with with being a person, you know, comes all the, the things of being a person. And that we really should be looking for the good in another person. Just people don't thrive when they don't feel like they're wanted or or a part of something. It's just my experience that, hey, I don't mind pushing people or challenging them, but to look for the good and, and to try to, to, to see it. I have a kind of a rule that you're not allowed to manage someone that you don't like. Because if you don't like the person, how predisposed are you going to be to to spend the extra time to develop their skills. And when you're frustrated with them, if you like the person, you're less likely to go out there and gossip about them. But if you don't like them, it's like a, a, a motivator to go gossip. So there's just these simple things that, that I have in my mind is, you know, ways of staying on track, mm-hmm. avoiding getting in the, into that mix of doing things wrong. Right. So don't manage people you don't like. Yeah. Real simple. Yeah. What else? What are some other pearls of wisdom? Okay, so the ones that that are, you know, what gets managed gets done. That's an important one um, for us just to make sure that we do have focus on the things that really make a difference. So an example, just even using that one around around people, 
if you can see the, the culture of the company is getting a little unhealthy, it probably has to do with the way that people are interacting with one another. And anything that's bad, you know, usually gets blamed upward from anybody that's on the team. And then any problems from the team leader standpoint, everything gets pointed downward. And so when you can keep stuff on the radar that, that matters, like for me, one of the, those things is monitoring, avoiding managing someone that you don't like. Um, you can see it in the comments about people. Like when you hear successes that would otherwise be overlooked, like, hey, this person just had their first project that they were able to run from start to finish on their own. It, it went really well for them. Or, hey, they, they had their first project that they were running on their own and they faced a couple of challenges on there. And I was able to coach them through it and they, they came out of it better experience. When when there's this active discussion around around the people in a, in a way to celebrate their successes or celebrate that they've broken through different, like, like you say, plateaus, uh, that, that's a super important thing for me. How important do you think it is to focus your energy as a, a leader or a business owner on people? I believe the three important elements for a manager are advancing their people, the process, and then the performance overall. And so to me, it's a it's a critical element, especially as an organization grows. I mean, if you've got five people, 10 people, okay, you can get away with not having those skills. But if you're at 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 people, you got to be good at, at delegating responsibility away. You have to know your position. It's a big thing for me to know what is your role like in a room. So when I go in, if I'm the lead of that team, even though I'm the lead of the, the company, doesn't mean that I'm the leader of every team. Because there's some teams that are led by someone else who's been given a responsibility and, and that on that team, I only play a part. I only play a role. So it's very important to know where are you, right? So if I'm the lead, then everybody that's on my team, right, I become their their primary customer as it relates to that project. And there's a lot of times where people forget that I'm the primary customer if it's my team, right? So that you're there. If I've recruited you for my team, I'm looking for you to be a good steward of the responsibilities that I'm going to give you. If, you gave, if I gave you $20, you're going to the store and said, hey, pick up these three things for me. You got to pick up those three things. You can't go buy different things and say, well, I didn't think that you needed those three things, so I bought you something else. So accountability is really tied to stewardship. And you know, if I'm going to entrust you with something, I'm going to look for you to, to deliver on it. So I, I like to know, am I the one that's entrusting somebody else with something or have I been entrusted? And then if I'm on the team, if I'm not the team lead, I'm there by invitation, which means the invitation can be pulled. So it's an important element. It's just an important thing to know because a lot of times people overstep their bounds by not respecting what role they have. And I had a, a big issue with uh, someone around account management and they're telling me that it's going fine. And I'm saying that it's not, at, you know, per what our discussion was. And like, how do you have a different definition of where we're at than I do? How could you have a different definition? Like you're entrusted with something that I've given you. This is what our expectations are. This is what we're trying to accomplish. You can't have a different definition of status than how I would read it. You're only allowed to make it, to elevate it, but you're not allowed to lower my expectation. Yeah. Unless I give you permission, of course. Right, right. So what are the circumstances that could lead somebody who might be like an account manager to have different expectations for the outcomes of a project than, than the company owner? When you forget your role. When you forget what what is the role of your uh, on that team, so I'm talking about uh, an area of responsibility 
that in our company, I own the, the performance of all the major elements of the company because that's my position as president, right? And so take account management as an element, uh, a main component of that. Well, if I find somebody and say, hey, this is what I'd like this to look like. Is this something that you'd like to take on? And we have that kind of discussion. Well, then we have a solid definition of what success looks like for that that area. Now that that's clear that this is what we're trying to accomplish and, and those those pieces, now that that's in someone else's hands, they're responsible to to deliver it in whatever way is agreed upon. At the end, when the performance isn't there and then having a discussion, well, maybe the expectations not, but not having a discussion as to whether or not the expectations are too high, but if they're telling me they are too high, well, based on your opinion, my opinion is not, and you can have that kind of back and forth. So it's just about really saying, if you've been entrusted with something, don't forget that that's what you've been entrusted to and with. And if you're going to fall short of it, well, then you have to have a discussion, a courageous discussion to, to talk about that, because ultimately I want you to be successful. And if, if you're not going to be successful with something I've given and you wait until the, the end where it's not delivered, I really wasn't, wouldn't be left in a position to succeed. I'm left to with the results that you can give me that fall short of expectations. And that's not fair to the person that owns that team. Right. It's really difficult to change the outcome because you're, you're pretty much already produced the outcome. The outcome is not, is not what's expected. Whereas if you work on this along the way, there are places where you can make some pivots and make some, make some adjustments so that you can improve the outcome. It's like I've been strapped into a chair with my hands tied behind my back and slapped across the face saying, this is the way you're going to have to deal with it. Exactly. Exactly. So John, your, so your company clearly has grown substantially over the two decades since you started it. Who are your primary clients today and what problems do you solve for them? Our clients are basically the world's most recognizable retail brands. So go into a mall, especially a higher end mall, and look left, look right. Those are, those are our customers. And we love servicing them. They've got some really specific needs, very particular needs, three different kinds of services. Basically, those stores need to be built or remodeled. They need ongoing maintenance right? The things break, they, they need them fixed. And then in between that, special projects are uh, where they've come up with a new way to stay connected to their customers, whether it's a new way to, to reach them, a, a better um, in-store or in-restaurant uh, experience. So those special projects or those uh, color changes, you know, they want new, new paint colors, new flooring or whatever. Those are the kinds of services that we, we provide for retailers and restaurant chains. And how did you end up with this particular niche well, the way that, that I look at things is I'm very much into figuring things out. I love to, to solve challenges. And uh, what I really love about what we do is that I'm able to solve a challenge that might might really be an issue at 300, 500, 1,000, 2,000 locations. So there's a scalability to the solutions where I really enjoy that. Uh, like I know that it can make an impact. So it, it's worthy of the time and, and, and effort. A lot of things are you know, more of a hobby where people spend the time to solve something or make something. Um, and, and that's enjoyable for me. I like to see uh, all of the growth that comes from, from the solution. Mm. What's an example of a kind of problem that can exist in hundreds of locations? Okay. So, so part of it has to just do with point of view. So one of the things that these companies need is they're always trying to drive up the value like everybody else. They want, how do I you know, drive down my costs and, and drive up the value derived. 
from the activity. And so since my industry is built on the back of construction, there's a lot of ideas like, okay, well, you hire the flooring company to do the flooring, the, the painter to do the painting, the handyman to do the handyman, because that follows the model of construction. Uh, for us, what we've done is said, well, you know, painting has to do with the way something looks. And, you know, floor care is the same kind of way if we, to replace a, a, like a floor tile, for example, or a floorboard, a hardwood, one piece of wood or five pieces of wood. Those things are very much visual. So it's a finish. You're, you're trying to accomplish a certain look and it needs to be installed properly. So what we figured out is, hey, if we can hire and train a bunch of people to do a handful of different trades, that it could really work. This takes a long time to do. We've been doing this particular service for like 19 years and there's all kinds of reasons to not do it. I mean, there's there's tons of obstacles to it, but once you figure it out, it can be very fruitful. And so that's what we did. We figured out a way to, to have technicians capable of doing things that a standard technician is not able to. We, we actually call them ultra techs. And these ultra techs, we have uh, all throughout the United States uh, are able to help us get more work done in a night with less nights. So I can touch more trades, do more things in a single visit, which drives down security costs, which, drive, you know, for having a guard overnight. It drives down the lost time from working overnight and just really provides a, a lot more, uh, a lot more bang for the buck. And every company that we brought it to, it's become a cornerstone of what they do because it's just not an option that's out there. Right. So what you've done is you've taken a, a problem that has some complex components and you've changed the model for the solution. Exactly. So the difficulty comes on the sales side because construction is a very pessimistic kind of it's a seasoned industry, right? It's been around. People have their minds made up on a lot of things and to come in with something that's alternative. So let me get it right. You're going to have a, a non-flooring technician install flooring. doesn't make any sense to me. Like these are the kinds of obstacles that are out there. So on the delivery, it's, it's no problem. It's just on uh, moving people off of, you know, having that, that, that discussion that, that moves them from where they are to understanding that facilities is its own industry. It's built on the back of construction, but it is not construction. So we'll take the 80% of the good from the, the, the industry that's the, the foundation for it. But let's go say, what are the non-construction insights that we can share? And once they, they think about that for a minute and then you know we're able to kind of build on it, a lot of the things that, that we put out there, they want to test first. And once we hit the testing phase, it's all over. We know that that's a, it's, it's locked, it's done because it just delivers that much value. John, what, what have been some of the ways you have been able to create what sound like they're breakthrough solutions in re-envisioning a model for a solution? What have been some of the ways that you've been helped in your own thinking so that you were able to create these kinds of breakthrough solutions? That is an awesome question because this is very, very specific now. What, what we did was instead of looking at ourselves as like a contracting company, that was looking for contracting business. This is this was a big pivot. I moved away from that and said, I don't care what service I provide. I just want to work with these companies. And so we started staying very centric on the client. Like, what do they need? And I identified those three buckets of services that they that they need. How do I bring these to them? How can I bundle these together? How can how can we deliver this a little bit more a little differently? 
the, you know, where, where's the hidden opportunity here? And so we're very focused on what a client's needs are. I mean, I'm dealing with, with huge companies. I want them to be paying me. How do I get them to pay me? You know, I, and I've got to find a way of giving them something either better, faster or cheaper, right? It's got to be a smarter solution. And so that, that really unlocks our creativity and it motivates our activity. So that being said, what advice might you give somebody that is working in a rapidly changing industry? And we see so many industries that are changing rapidly due to technology. Like if you look at it as an example, look at the music industry and how Apple really transformed the music industry when they came out with the iPod and then iTunes and, and the iPhone. And we've seen this in so many industries that are being transformed right before their eyes. What advice would you offer somebody who's trying to provide a solution in the same way that you provide solution for retailers? What advice would you offer to help somebody who's looking for those solutions to think about how to change the model of the solution? Stay as close to the customers as you can. I mean, if you look at what would be better for the customer to carry around a bunch of, of tapes or CDs or have it in a digital file and something that fits in their pocket. So if you just look at the customer's needs, I mean, now once it's happened, it, the kids of today looking back, you guys used to have a Walkman and you'd have to have all of those discs with you and you weren't able to bounce from singer to singer. You just had to listen to one and then change. Like, if you look at it, it's just a much better delivery for for the listener. So if you stay close to the customer, the same thing for for video. I know that that's been talked a lot about with Blockbuster and Netflix, but my goodness, if, if I can on-demand whatever I want to watch, probably going to be a lot better than me driving somewhere to go pick up a movie. So I, I think as, as close as you can stay to the customer and what they want and delivering that, then I think you're there. And so like my business, we're, we're very much, we're a B2B company, but we're really paying attention to our customer. Which of my customers does not want to get a lot more value out of their budget? Which one of them would not want to reduce the number of people that they have to communicate with on the projects? Which one wouldn't want the, the time back for that? Which one of them would not want to have a vendor that they could look at as their key go-to partner? And that's what we want to be. We want to be that key and strategic partner for our clients. And to do so, they've got to see that, that we have the competence. They got to see that we care about them, that we really want to make things successful and that they need to know that they can trust us. And delivering great value consistently is one of the fastest ways of growing, growing uh, trust. Absolutely. And it sounds like active listening is a really important component of how you are able to come up with a valuable solution for your clients. Absolutely. John, whom do you know personally who has done a really remarkable job of smashing the plateau? There's a, this gentleman, his name's uh, John Partipolo, and he passed away about uh, 10 years ago now. And um, there was this immigrant from Italy who came, I think he had like $2 in his pocket and came to this country and just went to work as a mechanic and then borrowed a couple of dollars from his father-in-law, opened up a transmission shop and uh, single generation, he built uh, a company that had like a thousand employees and just became one of the top providers to of, of uh, parts for a, a major auto brand. And I mean, he just became uh, their top, their top vendor. I mean, just was vendor of the year for like 20 years with this company and just did a magnificent job, but he started off as a mechanic 
and grew it into transmission shops and had a handful of those and all the struggles. And an opportunity came where where the auto dealer um, had a problem with a certain part that they were going bad and then they would have to replace them. And he's like, surely there's a way to, to fix this. And, it, and he solved the way to, to fix that item and, and built a monster out of it. Wow, what a great example. Um, and John, what's coming up for you in the near future? What do we have to look forward to? Well, so we're doing some really exciting things here at Resicom. And I believe that this year we're budgeting much less growth, but we're building the business where we think we're going to grow by like 60%. Our stuff is on fire. Uh, the, the messaging is finally good. So we're, we're really looking forward to the, the new mix of clients that we'll have by the end of 2019. And from that, that creates a uh, this other piece that we're trying to, to grow to diversify the company into owning and managing more real estate that we, where we are the owner. We really like having the perspective of our clients and we own and, and manage real estate now. The better we get at that and the more insights that we learn, that could be the, the source for some new solutions that we bring to the retailers and restaurant chains as well. Sounds great. Well, John, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything you share today, learn more or get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, the easiest way is by email. Um, and my email address is john at resacomonline.com. And uh, just send me a note. Let, let me know that you heard you heard me here on, on the podcast and uh, I'll reply and we can start a dialogue. Great. And uh, if anybody wants to check out resources you may have online, where's the place to go? So for uh, LinkedIn is great. Um, for, for my company, uh, resacomonline.com is our, our, our website and find a bunch of information on there about me and the company. Terrific. John, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and uh, share your experiences and your, your thoughts, your strategies, your insights. My guest today has been the founder and CEO of the Resicom Group, John Fairclough. Thank you again, John, for joining us. Thank you, David. It's been great. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, You'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how to create breakthrough solutions repeatedly and how John has been a disruptor to create repeated success in his own business. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.